This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, November 4th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. It's Friday, so we're going to begin with a look back at some of the news items from the week covered by Talk Business and Politics. Our ambassador to the week of news is Michael Tilley. Michael, happy Friday. Happy Friday, and, and doing a disservice to the name of other ambassadors around the world, hopefully, or probably. <laughs> well, let's start with uh, some interesting um, developments about teacher pay in Fort Smith that are going to happen, right? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Uh, we're told it'll happen, but we don't know when. Um, if you remember several months ago, uh, the Fort Smith School Board approved uh, a pay raise. And if, and if we remember, it was pretty controversial at the time because um, I think your listeners remember the teachers kind of got short shifted on a less, just barely a little over 1% pay raise while at the same time, the superintendent, Terry Morowski, got this huge, very nice pay raise. Um, you know, his salary is now well over $200,000 a year because with salary and benefits, because I, I don't know, Kyle, I mean, you keep up with school districts around the state too. It seems like we pay superintendents as, as if there was, you know, uh, only one qualified superintendent to emerge from the magic superintendent machine every five years. You know, they just pay them extravagant amount of money for, but that's another topic. But the board did approve this pay raise it was about a four and a half million dollar, probably closer to five million dollar, five million dollar when you factor in some other items. But they approved it. Now, part of it they had to go through the state because they're going to use some of the federal funds for it. They got that approved, but we don't know when the pay rate, the pay increase will kick in. And we've had some educators reach out to us, and we've seen some posts on social media. People are kind of wondering, hey, when's this? It's all been approved. When are we getting this? What's going on? Um, so we reached out and asked, we sent an FOI request earlier this week to the school board asking for any correspondence between the district's financial officer, the superintendent, and the school board members about when this pay raise will happen or the timing. And we got a response that said, there is no such correspondence. So they're asking us to believe um, that this high-profile subject that's been controversial uh, and that will certainly be a large budget action item that the board will have to take, uh, affecting you know a thousand thousand plus employees, um, that over the past several months there's been nada, no correspondence, no emails, no memos, no internal meeting minutes, nothing between the district's financial officer, the superintendent, and the school board. Nothing. So if that's true, maybe it means it's not a priority for them. I don't know. But we're going to ask them again, see if they want to check their, you know, check their files one more time. But um, I guess the bottom line is if you're an educator you, in the Forsyth School District, you know you're going to get a pay raise, but you just don't know when. And, you know, in some of the comments we've received, Kyle, from teachers is that, you know, hey, um, we kind of, you know, some of us out here live paycheck to paycheck and with inflation and with 
higher interest rates, we'd kind of like to know when this is going to hit so we can kind of time our budget and plan some things. But uh, apparently the school district administration and the school board, um, for whatever reason, have no interest in communicating um, to the teachers or to the public um, when, when this pay rate, and it's a significant pay raise for many of the educators when this, when it will drop. So just another example of how this, this district, this administration is just, whether it's constructing buildings, um, or this type of thing, they, they transparency is just not a priority for them. And quickly, if you, when a Freedom of Information Act request is filed asking for documents relating to a subject, and this is filed to a public entity such as a school district, the obligation is, within a timely manner, those documents, emails, correspondence, will be turned over to the people asking for them. Well, that's the expectation, but apparently there's been there are no such documents, so... That's what you and I are expected to believe. And if there are no documents, then then they don't have to turn anything over if there are no documents. Right. And and again, we're we're supposed to believe that on this high profile, again controversial, very important topic, um, a very big budget item, that those folks at the top have had no correspondence on it for the past several months. Also a very big item, building permit totals for the um, Fort Smith Metro, up over $400 million now for the year so far. Yeah, they've just blown past the previous record, which was last year, which is $343 million. So, yeah, for the first 10 months, uh, building permit values in Fort Smith, Greenwood, and Van Buren uh, hit $413.5 million roughly. That's up uh, about 45% compared to the same period last year. Um, and it, they had a pretty robust, um, they kind of, it, for the August, September, there was somewhat of a, maybe a trend down, but uh, that ended in October. Uh, permit values in the three cities was almost 61 million. That was up 60, uh, excuse me, um, 58% compared to October, 2021. Um, so, um, you know, if there is, um, I, I know some people say the economy is not doing well. That's not the case here. Uh, we'll see if, um, in the next several months, probably in the next six months, what the impact of rising interest rates have done. If, you know, maybe there was a lot of construction thrown into the system while the money was still cheap. We don't know, but, um, construction is, continues to be, both new residential and commercial, very robust in the Fort Smith Metro. And, and uh, in Fort Smith, uh, year-to-date uh, permits are up over 28%. Um, in Van Buren, uh, uh, let me see, in Van Buren permits uh, are up uh, 173% in Van Buren year-to-date. And uh, in Greenwood, permits are up 35% year-to-date. So it's across the board. Uh, significant increases and in the Van Buren the one reason the Van Buren uh, so much larger um, a lot has to do with the the major construction at Simmons food their processing plant there um, they're in the middle or back probably wrapping up a very significant expansion 
Well, as long as we're talking records, let's talk ArcBest. They're having a good year, too. Yeah, um, although the stock doesn't show, which is, that's another story and interesting. But, yeah, through the um, first three quarters of the year, um, the the revenue for this company, which is a logistics and shipping company, ABF Freight is their primary subsidiary that most folks are probably familiar with. Revenue for the first three quarters is $4.07 billion. That's up 46% compared to the same period in 2021. So that's already a new record for almost a 100-year-old company. Um, will likely be over $5 billion when they get this next quarter in. Um, their net income for the first three quarters of the year is $260 million. That's up 76%. And again, um, we talked about it. What we're seeing, though, is just as the supply chain, you know, works to unwind and get caught up from a significant disruption from the pandemic, you know, companies that can move your stuff or can manage the movement of your stuff are getting paid very good money, um, to do that. Um, and, you know, for example, and I know we've talked about this before, but a closely watched metric in the, tr- in the trucking industry is the build revenue per hundred weight. And for, uh, our, uh, for ABF, uh, freight that was forty a little over forty six dollars in the third quarter, that was up eleven percent, uh, and their tonnage shipped was up over four point four percent. So when you combine uh, a double digit increase in what they're getting paid to move stuff, and the four and a half almost a four and a half percent increase in the stuff they're moving, you can see where these record numbers are coming from. Hmm. Michael Tilley is with Talk Business and Politics. You can follow all of these news stories and so many others, including the upcoming election, at talkbusiness.net. Michael, if I would have told you back in August that when Arkansas and Liberty met on the football field, one of the teams would be ranked, and it's not Arkansas, what would you have said? I would have said anything's possible, especially when the Razorbacks are involved. So, <laughs> yeah, anything is, anything is possible, but... I don't think Liberty is really ranked 23rd, so hopefully that will prove out on Saturday. All right, Michael, thank you so much. Talk to you next Friday. Yes, sir. Support for KUAF comes from the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville. The museum is hosting a Dia de los Muertos festival with free admission November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This celebration of life features food, music, and more. Information at M-O-N-A-H dot org. This is Ozarks at Large. If you listen to KUAF on Saturdays at 1 p.m., you're quite familiar with the voice of Rick Steves. A self-described travel guru, Steves is renowned for his travel guides and resources, especially across Europe. He's also the chairman of the board of the National Organization of the Reform of Marijuana Laws, or NORML. I recently spoke to Rick over the phone about marijuana and Arkansas Issue 4, and he says that he's actually not pro-pot. I think marijuana is a drug. It should be regulated. It can be abused. It can be dangerous. It's not for kids. Uh, But I also think that it's a civil liberty if we want to enjoy it, and it needs to be done by adults in a mature way. He says his activism started when he started recognizing the injustice of the laws surrounding marijuana possession and usage. You know, I'm a privileged white guy. I can smoke pot with discretion with my friends, and no problem at all. But if you're a poor person or a person of color, This is a very, very dangerous thing. And when you get a record, you have a record. Uh, So there's a lot of racism involved here. 
What could Americans learn from European nations on this issue? I mean, I'm sure that you hear from locals in nations outside of America who have legalized marijuana, who have never had this sort of stigma around it. What can Americans learn from these folks? Well, first of all, in Europe, different countries handle it differently. But basically, a joint is about as exciting as a can of beer in Europe. And it's just not a, not a big deal. It's old news. In Europe, the states that were most progressive on their drug policy reform, like the Netherlands and Portugal, they were the countries that had the worst opioid problems. And very smartly over there, they decided to take the marijuana out of the equation and focus more effectively on the opioid problem, which is what we need to do right here. In Europe, data from 2020 shows that the country that had the highest drug-induced mortality rates per million across adults aged 15 to 64 was Norway, with 85 per million. By comparison, in the United States in 2020, the data show 405 per million just in adults aged 35 to 44. That's according to the CDC. One talking point that Steve says he hears a lot is that there are Americans who would smoke marijuana if it were just legal. That seems logical, but it's not. I mean, and the the numbers have, have, have borne that out. You know, there's not a reservoir of decent American citizens that would love to ruin their lives smoking pot if only it was legal. Everybody who wants to smoke pot already does. And if you legalize it, they can just do it without breaking the law. But use does not go up. We've learned that. That's not just my hunch. That's the record in Colorado and Washington after 10 years of this. General use, it stays roughly the same. It might creep up a little bit, but it's essentially the same. Teen use has definitely not gone up. Another talking point is on the idea of marijuana being a gateway drug. If you smoke marijuana, pretty soon you're going to be hooked on whatever. And uh, Europeans have learned the only thing gateway about marijuana is when it's illegal. And then you got to buy it from a criminal on the street who's going to prey on minors and who's interested in selling you something that's much more profitable and much more addictive, hard drugs and marijuana. And in that case, marijuana would be a gateway drug. But now you don't have criminals on the street selling it. I mean, you do in states where it's illegal. But in my state, there's a little shop on the road into town. And that's where people go when they want to buy their marijuana. And when you go into a dispensary in a state like Washington or Colorado or 17 other states where it's legal, you feel like you're going into a cross between a pharmacy and a, and a, and an Apple store. I mean, it is so spick and span and it is so ship shape. Everything is very carefully regulated. I get carded <laughs> for my age because no minors can go in there and buy marijuana and you're not buying it from somebody on the street and you're buying it in a way where you know it's been regulated and checked. It's a pragmatic thing. One of the pushbacks that I have seen on issue four, um, and it's been from Democrats, honestly. One local state senator who's a Democrat says, quote, the measure hands a small number of companies full control of the industry, guaranteeing they'll never face competition. Do you believe it's better to pass recreational marijuana in a state with some problematic elements of an amendment or for there to be a new amendment in the future that could address some of these issues? You know, Matthew, I'm not an expert on the intricacies of Arkansas vis-a-vis marijuana or some of these issues, but I would say I am of the belief that right now we are arresting thousands and thousands of people a year. 400,000 people are arrested in this country this last year 
I mean, that's less than what it used to be, but still 400,000 people are being arrested. And, and we've got this weird split in our country where in some states it's part of the economy and in other states you can do hard time. When we legalized in Washington state, our biggest opposition was from the left, not from the right, because they wanted more. And it's understandable that people who are more excited about legalizing would look at the Arkansas law and think this doesn't go far enough. But I think it's a, it's a realistic start. I think Arkansas is probably a conservative state on this issue. And this law is framed for a conservative state. He reiterates that the legalization of marijuana is a civil liberty and that civil liberties should have some guardrails. We are laser focused on the civil liberties dimension of this. You know, I'm a hardworking, taxpaying, church going, kid raising American citizen. If I work hard all day long and I want to go home, smoke a joint and just look at the fireplace for three hours, that <laughs> is my civil liberty. That's my civil liberty. Now, do I have the right to get high and go drive? Of course not. Throw the book at me if I do that. Do I have the right to sell my marijuana to minors? Of course not. Throw the book at me if I do that. But should we be arresting 400,000 people in this country right now every year when people in 19 states can smoke legally and people like me, privileged, well-off white people, can smoke with impunity, even in states like Arkansas? There's some serious fundamental problems here. And yes, you can, I, I don't want to diminish people's complaints about the law, but to me, I guess I would call it, you can split hairs on some of these extra provisions, but that'll come in due time. Right now, the immediate thing is to legalize, tax, and regulate marijuana. That's how we break down a federal prohibition. It's incremental. Rick Steves is a travel guide and chairman of the board for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. We spoke over the phone last week. On the other side of the debate about recreational marijuana, and issue four specifically, is an unlikely opponent, Little Rock-based attorney David Couch. He was one of the sponsors behind the citizen-led medical marijuana amendment that passed in 2016. While he supports recreational marijuana, he says issue four is not the way to do it. Couch stopped by the Carver Center for Public Radio last week, and he spoke with reporter Daniel Carruth. So, David, can you just sort of walk me through where the Amendment 4 recreational marijuana stands kind of right now? Issue 4 is the effort by the current medical marijuana cultivators to really enshrine themselves a um, monopoly in the Arkansas Constitution to grow all of the marijuana for personal use or recreational purposes. One of the issues that is most concerning about that is that if you only have eight cultivators growing most of the marijuana in Arkansas for uh, personal use, it's going to be overpriced. It's not going to be consumer friendly. You're not going to get the varieties that you need. You're not going to get the mix you need. You're only going to get the, the more high profitable strains for them. So basically it's just a lack of competition one of the other issues that really concerns me about the amendment is that it destroys the, the hemp CBD market in Arkansas. If you look at the definition of what they're regulating in the amendment, it's cannabis sativa with no exceptions. Cannabis sativa is, is marijuana, but it also includes what we call as industrial hemp or hemp. The difference is the, the levels of THC in the specific plants. Uh, if you look at Colorado, which was the original state to 
um, legalize marijuana recreationally. They have specifically exempt out hemp from the amendment. So it's clear to me that not only do they seek to monopolize the marijuana market, they're going to monopolize the hemp CBD market too. Uh, Another aspect of it that is really anti-competitive is that when I drafted the medical marijuana amendment that passed in 2016, you know, I limited it to Arkansas people. You had to be 60% owned by Arkansans, and you could only own one cultivation license and one dispensary license. They've taken that away. They, they've removed the restriction that it has to be owned majority by people in the state of Arkansas, and they've removed the restriction that you can only own one dispensary license. You can own up to 18 licenses. So this is really from a consumer standpoint. You could have five or six people control all of the dispensaries in the state of Arkansas. So, you know, your main competition with marijuana for personal uses is, is the, the black market. One of the, the biggest things that I don't like about this amendment is what it doesn't do. Um, it doesn't forgive past offenses for marijuana possession. Do uh, we? Do you have a number on how many people that maybe affects? Do you know how? Like, sure. You know, in Arkansas, annually, and it's really hard to tell because yeah. misdemeanor marijuana possession is four ounces or less. This only legalizes marijuana possessions of an, an ounce or less. Ten or twenty thousand people a year get a possession charge, but I couldn't see. I couldn't break it out to see how many this really affect with one ounce or less. You know, one of the other things that people talk about is how, you know, one ounce or less, it'll keep the officers from picking on our youth. But you got to understand this applies to 21 and up. So 18, 19, 20-year-olds, you know, it's no no change for them. So if I was going to draft the amendment for people under 21, we should be like Mississippi, it's not a criminal offense. It's a citation like a traffic ticket. Yeah. You know, I, I think a, a responsible, fair, equitable marijuana amendment, if this one had been that way, man, it might have hit 65%. So uh, for people who maybe would say, let's just go ahead and get it on the ballot or get it passed, how difficult, if it does pass, would it be to change it down the line? The only way you can change it is with another constitutional amendment. So that would mean that you're going to have to get the General Assembly to refer out a constitutional amendment. And the General Assembly is is not ever going to refer out a constitutional amendment that I know of to make marijuana more accessible and the market better. First of all, the marijuana cultivators are going to have hundreds of lobbyists to keep the General Assembly from doing that, and we the people have no lobbyists. And then the other only other way to do it is through a citizens-initiated constitutional amendment. You know, people say this is a first step or a baby step. This is a brick wall. And so let's say that it doesn't pass. What's the likelihood that we can get a better or a different amendment that has some of these, you know, stipulations in 100%. there? 100%. Hundred percent. That people, because I think people would say, "Sure, uh, okay, we tried to do that and it didn't work. We tried to put recreational marijuana in front yeah. of people, it didn't work. That scraps. No one will ever pick it up again." Wrong. So in two thousand and twelve, okay. <laughs> we did medical marijuana and we lost. We came back four years later and did it. Not two, but four, because as you know, the difference between a presidential election year and a non-presidential election year is 
substantial. So there'll be 850,000 people that may vote in this midterm. There'll be 1.2 million that'll vote in 2024 in the presidential election, and the turnout will be substantially more progressive. So, you know, if you draft a regulated personal growth marijuana amendment that allows some more competition, takes care of past offenses, lets the General Assembly regulate some areas of it, put the money in in legitimate areas to like maybe help our, our hospitals or something like that, I've always believed that it's going to pass. And you've been working in this realm for a while. How has just perceptions of people in Arkansas around marijuana, how have those perceptions changed? It, it, is, it has evolved. In 2012, the, the marketing campaign against us was that there were going to be drugged out zombies walking around the streets. Uh, and, and, and people now know that that's not true. <laughs> We've gone from drugged out zombies until the discussion we're having today is, why give these people a monopoly? Why not forgive past offenses? We're not talking about drugged out zombies much anymore. I mean, there's still that segment that's going to got the drugged out zombies, but we're not ever going to get them over on our team anyhow. <laughs> well, so one of the put things, them aside. <laughs> yeah, I did want to you know mention you held a press conference, was it last week? With Jerry with Cox. With Jerry Cox, yeah. who is diametrically opposed, or was in you know, 2012. So how is it to, I guess, well, I, will tell you, I wouldn't it, know if I would say team up, but to work with him so on this opposition. So first of all, I, I've known Jerry for a long time, and Jerry was the drugged out zombie guy in 2012. But I think that the reason that Jerry and I have teamed up, and it's a good sign, is, is I believe that Jerry understands there's that segment of a people that are conservative in nature who believe that maybe this should be legalized. And so my voice is to convince them this is not the way to do it. What will it take to get it in 2024 to get an amendment drafted Man, and, and put up there? Not, I mean, we're drafting it now. You have all these other organizations out there that have supported marijuana reform. You have the Truegrass people, and then you have, you know, Melissa Fultz and her group. And we've been talking about Home Grow yet. I mean, that's in, in 2012 – that was the big issue that, that killed was home grow, and that was all people talked about in 2012. 2024, people don't care. A limited home grow where you grow three or four plants, sell, and that's like, that doesn't bother anybody anymore. So, you know, that's another thing this amendment doesn't have is home grow, and it will forever pre- prevent that home grow. You can never have home growth issue four passes. But yeah, you, you have a, an amendment that has home grow in it, you get, so you get the true grass people, and you start going like that, and then maybe the, the cultivators, and the, they're like, okay, we lost, we, we did our best shot, y'all take the lead, here's a little help getting it on the signatures on the ballot, and, and it'll pass. I mean, again, they'll make tons of money, tons of money, they just won't make all the money. That was attorney David Couch speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth earlier this week in the Karen Taha News Studio. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review here on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Tonight at Roots HQ, one of the final performances, at least for a while, it's a tribute to Toots Thielmans. I spoke with the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society's Robert Ginsburg on Tuesday. 
This is actually an add-on concert for the KUAF and Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society's concert series. It's a tribute to a legend in jazz. His name is Toots Thielmans. He's a Belgian guitarist, whistler. He whistled the theme on Sesame Street. He did a lot of Hollywood movie soundtracks like Midnight Cowboy. And his longtime sideman and a world-renowned jazz pianist, Kenny Werner, and the heir apparent to jazz harmonica, a Swiss harmonica player named Gregoire Marais, are coming together to do a duo concert in tribute to Toots at the intimate venue of Roots headquarters, one of the last concerts over there. Robert Ginsberg with the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. Again, that performance tonight at Roots HQ. For more, digjazz.com. Tonight at the Butterfield Village Performance Center, the opening performance of The Gridiron. This annual spoof of local, national, and international news headlines is performed by local journalists. Here's Gina Shelton with the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. So we acknowledge that listening to political news can be a little bit depressing. So this gives us a chance to come together as a community to find some humor in local, state, and national political events. So this actually dates back to the 1970s when the local chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists started the show. We took a few years off, but we've been back for nearly 20 years. And this is the fundraiser once a year to raise money for the SPJ and for student scholarships. We're looking for just a a fun night. Tickets are $35.00. And that includes refreshments, uh, um, reception, and then a really fun performance. Tonight's performance is for Butterfield Trail Village members only. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, will be the public performance of the Gridiron. Tickets are available at nwagridiron.com. The Critical Mass Summit begins today in Fayetteville. It will run through tomorrow, Saturday. This collaboration between the local groups Trailblazers and Bike.POC looks to diversify the trail systems here in northwest Arkansas. So the purpose of Critical Mass Summit is to bring in folks who usually don't get a seat at the table to discuss trails, cycling, and active transportation. Uh, There's a lot of people in our community that are impacted by it, but don't necessarily have a seat at the table to discuss it. So we're trying to bring in everybody who is impacted, everyone who's interested, and all of those who also have seats of power at those decision tables. That's Lauren Hildreth with Trailblazers. Here's Bia Apple with the group Bike.POC. Typically, what we see in this space is that um, the decision makers at the table tend to be mostly white men. And what we're working on is building a grassroots advocacy base to help change up what those seats of power look like and bring people of color and otherwise marginalized folks to the table to help make decisions for their communities. Lauren Hildreth with Trailblazers says after the Friday session featuring speakers and information, Saturday's events will be out on the trail. The second day on Saturday, we're actually going to get out into the community around Northwest Arkansas and move our bodies and try new activities together. You know, everything from uh, kayaking and hiking to pottery and even like a painting uh, workshop here in Fayetteville. Uh, After those activities in the morning, we'll actually be doing a community critical mass ride starting at 3 p.m. at Prairie Street Live and encouraging the entire community to come out and ride bikes together and show up on the streets and show that this is something that we're looking for more in our community. For more, criticalmasssummit.org. 
Each and every week, you hear from those groups and individuals trying to make a difference in our communities through the Community Spotlight Series here on KUAF. Their voices matter, and your voice matters. I'm Pete Hartman. Send me an email. That's Pete at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large, and with me by phone from her office in Fort Smith is Thespian and writer and provocateur, Becca Martin-Brown. Becca, how are you? Well, I'm not in Fort Smith. I'm in Bella Vista. Did I say Fort Smith? You did. Ooh, I got Michael Tilly on my brain or something. Okay. (laughs) No, you're... That's okay. (laughs) You're in Bella Vista. We have a new office. We have a new office in Fort Smith. I have yet to see it, but we have one. So see, that's what I was doing. If you're looking for the North... If you're looking for the River Valley Democrat Gazette, we have a new office in Fort Smith. Well, I, I, it was an intentional segue. Wherever I am, I'm here to remind our listeners that so many extraordinary things happen to us in northwest Arkansas and the River Valley that sometimes we forget how extraordinary they are. Right. So here's one of them. During the month of November which is Native American Heritage Month, you can schedule a tour of the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville with the founder. Where else? You can't go to, like, the Met and say, hey, I'd like to have a tour of the museum with the big boss, unless you're a pretty big boss yourself. Right, exactly. But you can schedule a tour of Mona with David Bogle, who started this with a collection of arrowheads, like every other Boy Scout on the planet, that turned into 10,000 artifacts that span 24,000 years. All you have to do is get a hold of the museum. If you have six to eight people, you can schedule online at Mona, M-O-N-A-H dot org. If you're an organization with 45 people or fewer, you can schedule by calling Mona at 273-2456. And he's doing this the whole month of November on select days. Also amazing is how often if you ask, you get what you ask for. Yeah. You know, as everyone does, because I've talked about it ad nauseum, that I'm in almost Maine at Arkansas Public Theater. We've got one more weekend to catch this show. We do. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if we could get the playwright to send us a message or, you know, it's a living playwright. Why not try, right? Right. I chased around and reached out to John Cariani, who wrote Almost Maine, got a hold of his personal assistant who said he'd be delighted to answer some questions for you. And he answered a whole slew of questions about the show and how he wrote it and who influenced the characters. And there's a lovely interview with him up on our free weekly website where he says so many interesting things about who his favorite characters are in the show and which characters are most like him. If you ask, sometimes you get what you ask for. If what you're asking for is Christmas presents... See what I did there? I do it, yes. My brain's working better than usual. Here's the solutions. On Sunday, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Washington County Fairgrounds, the Northwest Arkansas Makers 
formed in 2021 mm-hmm. are having a maker's market. Mm. And they will have more than 250 artisans of all kinds in one place so that you can do your Christmas shopping. Now, you know how we've talked in the past, you know, you, you'll mention that you go to the junk ranch or these yards and yards of yard sales, and you always say, what you spend is up to you. These are the uh-huh. things that are dangerous to me. These maker's fairs <laughs> or death ray or cattywampus, because there are a lot of talented folks out there. That's what Shelley Mober is one of the founders of NWA Makers, and she said she knew there was a lot of artistic talent in Northwest Arkansas, but she really had no idea until they started this. They have almost 7,000 members on their social media Mm. platforms. Mm -hmm. And she says, these are the people not only that are doing this as a profession, but are doing it in their garage because they love it. Yeah. Break a leg, metaphorically, of course. And uh, Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad you're still in Bella Vista, but I'm happy there's an office in Fort Smith. There we go. All right. Thank you, Becca. I don't know where I am. I thought I did well. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you next week with my entire brain. 10 to 5 on Sunday at the Washington County Fairgrounds. Free admission. Parking is $5. Now, you and I both know about this coming Saturday night, the annual Northwest Arkansas Gridiron Show. That's right. It's where local journalists um, parody the the year's previous um, news events. On Saturday the 5th at the Butterfield Trail Village Performance Center in Fayetteville. Among the things included are a January 6th variety show. Oh, no. (laughs) A skit about the leaks at Mar-a-Lago, COVID-19, and, of course, political missteps across the nation. Doors open at 6 on Saturday, show at 7 at the Butterfield Trail Village Performance Center. That's on Joyce Boulevard in Fayetteville. And tickets are $35 at nwagridiron.com or at the door. The Inverse Performance Festival is this weekend at the Momentary in Bentonville Performance Art. Right. $20 for a festival pass. Saturday is the Day of the Dead celebration at Mona. There's also a Day of the Dead celebration at the Springdale Public Library on Saturday at 1030. And then downtown Springdale has stuff going on, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. And then there's three opportunities to see theater. She Loves Me, which is based on the original You've Got Mail story, mm-hmm. at 7.30 today and tomorrow at the Berry Performing Arts Center on the John Brown campus in Siloam Springs. Detroit 67 wraps up this weekend at Theater Squared in Fayetteville. Right. And, of course, that little play called Almost Maine wraps up at 8 tonight and tomorrow and 2 on Sunday at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory. Break a leg, metaphorically, of course. And, uh, Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad you're still in Bella Vista, but I'm happy there's an office in Fort Smith. There we go. All right. Thank you, Becca. I don't know where I am. I thought I did well. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you next week with my entire brain. Walton Arts Center's 10 by 10 Arts Series presents Delfeo Marsalis and the Uptown Jazz Orchestra, Sunday, November 20th at 7 p.m. A member of the Marsalis family of musicians, Delfeo is an acclaimed trombonist who leads the brass-heavy Uptown Jazz Orchestra in a concert paying tribute to the sounds of New Orleans. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets.
Support for KUAF comes from the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville. The museum is hosting a Dia de los Muertos festival with free admission November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This celebration of life features food, music, and more. Information at M-O-N-A-H dot org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm Matthew Moore. Just ahead, Courtney Lanning watched the new Netflix movie Enola Holmes 2. She says it's more of the same from the first movie about Sherlock Holmes' younger sister. And that's a good thing. Her review is just ahead. Right now, let's catch up on some of what happened this week. It was another busy week across the region. That's right. Arkansas continues seeing sales tax collections coming in at levels higher than had been forecast. The Department of Finance and Administration released its revenue for October this week. Net available revenues totaled $604 million, which was nearly 9% above forecast and 10% above the same month last year. John Shellnut, head of the department's Economic Analysis and Tax Research Division, says the state is seeing strong consumer and business spending despite concerns about inflation. We're working on the third consecutive year of double-digit percentage growth, at least in sales tax, and nearly that much overall. So it's quite an impressive run, uh, even with interest rates starting to rise from monetary policy It appears that uh, households have more savings and more earnings power than was envisioned. The department will release its revised forecast on November 10th. Governor Asa Hutchinson is scheduled to speak to the legislature's joint budget committee on that day to discuss his recommended budget for the coming months. American Airlines will begin nonstop flights from Northwest Arkansas National Airport to Phoenix this approaching winter. The daily flights are scheduled to begin February 3rd. This will be the eighth route the airline will operate out of XNA. The latest edition of the Arkansas Poll shows Arkansans' top concern is the economy. That's the same as the top concern in last year's poll. But the 2022 edition finds even more people are concerned about the future of the economy than listed it as the top concern last year, a 17% jump. This year, 39% of Arkansans listed the economy as their major concern. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth talked with Janine Perry, director of the Arkansas Poll and a professor of political science at the University of Arkansas yesterday. Their conversation will be heard on the Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. An Arkansas State Park is being renamed to more accurately reflect the culture of the people who built the mounds there. The formerly named Toltec Mounds State Park in Scott is now called Plum Bayou Mounds Archaeological Park. Named for a nearby stream, the Plum Bayou culture has been identified by archaeologists as the builders of the mounds. A new partnership between the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas and Rich Mountain Community College in Mena is designed to help students transition from a two-year associate degree to a four-year bachelor's degree. Starting in spring 23, University of Arkansas Rich Mountain students pursuing an associate of science in business may transfer their class credits to the Walton College to complete a bachelor of science in business administration. Details of the agreement were announced Tuesday at the main campus of UA Rich Mountain in Mena. KUAF went live this week. The Reflections Music Series concert featuring Pepe Rivero's Four Seasons of Latin Jazz Wednesday night took place in front of a capacity crowd in Star Theater in Walton Arts Center and live on KUAF.
It was our first live broadcast from the Star Theater, and we'll hear more from the concert later in the year on Ozarks at Large. The Razorback soccer team will now wait for the NCAA tournament bids to be announced after losing a heartbreaker to Vanderbilt Tuesday night in the SEC tournament quarterfinals. The Razorbacks lost to Vandy 5-4 on penalty kicks. The NCAA selection show will be Monday. Kyle, how many years in a row now is it that the Razorbacks have gone to the tournament highly ranked? and Well, so going into this year's tournament, they had gone to the championship match six consecutive years and never won. Oh. Wow, what a it's a tough break. conference. Yeah, absolutely. Not just in football, but in soccer as well. Oh, yeah. The John Brown University women's soccer team will host Wayland Baptist in the Sooner Athletic Conference semifinals Monday night at Alumni Field in Siloam Springs. JBU advanced to the semis with a 5-0 win over Southwestern Christian last night. The JB. The JBU men will host Texas Wesleyan tomorrow evening at 5 in the men's SAC quarterfinals. The winner advances to Tuesday's semifinals. And let's look ahead just a bit to Sunday. We officially fall back with daylight savings time ending at 2 Sunday morning. Coming up this week on the KUAF Vinyl Hour, Jared, our summer intern here at 91.3 FM, bids farewell. But before he goes, he sits in with the Vinyl Hour's Lee Wood to present some of his favorite doo-wop, R&B, and Philly soul tracks. Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes with Teddy Pendergrass, and then I discovered Teddy Pendergrass, and then I discovered, I think, my favorite Philadelphia soul artist, uh, the Spinners, who were on Motown, but the label didn't really give them much attention until they got to Atlantic, which at the time was in the Philadelphia soul market. Jared, the KUAF summer intern, educates us on the art of doo-wop alongside host Lee Wood during the next KUAF Vinyl Hour. Saturday at 5 p.m. on 91.3. Happy Friday. This is Ozarks at Large. Joining me by Zoom is Courtney Lanning. Courtney, how are you? I'm good, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm okay. I've made my peace with the fact that it's November and we're going into those that time of year when it gets dark at 4 in the afternoon and the sun doesn't come up till 7 in the morning, but... All the better. Hey, listen, listen, man, you had your 10 months of summer. You're right. You're right. All the better for watching movies at home or in the theater. And this week, a movie that I've really been anticipating, and I hope it's good. It's the sequel to Enola Holmes. Yes. Uh, Enola Holmes 2, and just 2. There's no clever tack on no a game of shadows or a dance of knives or mysteries or whatever. it's just enola holmes too and i feel like that matches the airy simplicity of this whimsical series it's more of a whimsical take on sherlock yeah and enola holmes of course is sherlock holmes sister yes and she's played by stranger things millie bobby brown who of course has been in so many things at this point from stranger things to godzilla to well enola holmes yeah and the first one was just a fun movie. Yeah, it really felt like a breath of fresh air because obviously Sherlock is a character that's been around since I think 1870 was his first appearance in literature. Um, and this is really a nice, refresh take on the series. So many people have played Sherlock. We were just talking about, obviously, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Ian McKellen has played, Sir Ian McKellen has played. Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and those are just, you know, modern Sherlock's. Yeah, Basil Rathbone, um, George C. Scott. Yeah, you can go on and on. All right, what I loved about the first one was it was 
I don't know. It was just a fun movie. I mean, there were not a lot of bells and whistles, but it was charming. The writing was sharp and clever. And there was this breaking of a fourth wall. I hope that the second one kind of does everything the first one did. Well, you know, I can promise you that you will get that. You will get more fourth wall breaking and uh, obviously a big focus on Enola. Basically, what I can promise folks is if you didn't like the first movie, Mm. if it just wasn't for you, you're not going to find much to enjoy here. It plays the hits from the original film, gives you more of what you expect. Um, And that's that's what I can promise you. This this is more fulfillment from the first movie. Millie Bobby Brown was so good in the first one. I'm assuming she's as good in this one. Absolutely. Um, You know, every Holmes that was raised in that household obviously has uh, some lack of normal social decorum. And, and, you know, it's, it's fun to watch her observe the world around her and try to cast her own place outside the shadow of her brother Sherlock, who is played by Henry Cavill, of course, Superman and Witcher and Mission Impossible and everything good at this point. He can do no wrong. Uh, In fact, I would say that Henry Cavill and Millie Bobby Brown's relationship as brother and sister, that's the best part of this movie. Hmm. Okay. Um, Sherlock is more kind in this movie. Uh, They've got this heartwarming relationship together where they have each other's backs. Sherlock obviously uh, doesn't believe in Enola's limitations. You know, just because she's a little girl, she can still go on out and take the world and and solve mysteries and, and be intelligent and beat the villain. You'll, you'll recall that in the original movie, Netflix got into a little bit of trouble with a lawsuit from the uh, Conan Doyle mm-hmm. estate, basically mm-hmm. saying, yes, Sherlock's stories for the most part are in the public domain, but the ones where Sherlock is kinder and more empathetic and, and sympathetic and an emotional person, those aren't in the public domain, so you can't make Sherlock too caring. They, they ended bizarre. up settling that lawsuit. Right. It was it was a stupid attempt, but Netflix settled the lawsuit and it seems to have set up the sequel where Sherlock can be as kind and as caring as he wants at this point. If you're dealing with Holmes of any Holmes, there does have to be a mystery. How does that measure up? So, you know, I think the the fights and the mystery at large aren't quite as tight as they were in the first Mm -hmm. movie, but there's still plenty to like. You know, overall, you know, Holmes 2 is obviously a fun continuation um, if you like the characters, you're just going to get more of what you like. And, and there's plenty to enjoy here. Look, if, 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 if you're spending some time at home and you turn on Netflix, this just sounds like the perfect sort of Netflix uh, distraction. It is. You know, when you think about movies that Netflix does well, this is obviously going to fall into that category. Obviously, you know, Netflix has a lot of content. 50-50 on whether it's good or bad, but this is definitely <laughs> right. one of the one in the good pile. Exactly. All right. So the full review is in today's uh, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It's on Netflix today. What else this week? So there's a movie coming out that has fantastic reviews. I'm looking forward to watching it this weekend. It's called Weird, the Al Yankovic story. And of course, it stars everyone's favorite wizard, Daniel Radcliffe. I love that. Weird Al. Of course. As if everyone knew that Weird Al Yankovic's biopic would star Daniel Radcliffe. I just love this idea. I I admire where Daniel Radcliffe is in his career yes. right now. You know, he finished his Harry Potter stuff and now he can he's got the money. He can just do whatever he wants. 
Yes. He could just take whatever assignments he can audition for any movie. He just <laughs> he gets to have fun now. All right, now next week. There's a small movie coming out called Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. You know I'm going to be in the theater Thursday night to see that. But that's not what we're going to talk about next week, I bet. Yes. Uh, next week I'll actually be reviewing a new animated film coming out called My Father's Dragon. And this is from a studio that I, I really admire. It's called Cartoon Saloon. And they are an animation studio in Dublin, Ireland. Mm. And they are one of the few... Big studios left that are still doing traditional 2D animation as opposed to the 3D CG that you see from big companies like DreamWorks and Disney and Pixar. I'm anxious to hear the re review of that. You can read the full review of Enola Holmes 2 in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, have a great weekend. Kyle, I hope you have one too. That's Bart Levine in the background. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. We'll hear more from Mark, as well as music from Sonny Rollins, Kirk Leitze, Jamie Baum, Ferenc Nemeth, and much more on this week's edition of Shades of Jazz. Tune in every Friday and Saturday, right here on KUAF. You can listen to Shades of Jazz Friday nights, that's tonight, on KUAF at 10 p.m. and on KUAF 3 tomorrow, beginning at 11 a.m. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and the Elk River. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Have you ever been on the Elk River? I haven't. All right. Additional content today provided by Timothy Dennis, who uh, provided us the music from the concert at Star Theater Wednesday night. Also, the new staff at KUAR in Little Rock. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Thanks for being with us. I'm Kyle Kelts, back Sunday morning at 9 with Weekend Ozarks at Large. That's right, and I'm Matthew Moore. Don't forget, if you ever miss one of our stories or you want to catch up on what we've reported in the past, you can find that in a few different ways. You can head over to ozarksatlarge.com, find the full feed of all of our stories. You can subscribe to the Ozarks at Large podcast, however you decide to do that. And... Uh, you can go to KUAF.com and find a full feed of our local stories, national stories. Thanks for being with us.